Hi, I'm Bill Mitchell, host of When Dating Hurts. Two years ago, I launched my dating violence podcast. Back then, I knew very little about recording, editing, or uploading to a hosting platform. Frankly, I didn't know what a hosting platform meant. When recording episodes, I needed it to be easy for me and my guests. You see, I was capturing highly emotional personal stories, and I couldn't have guests fiddling around, clicking buttons, starting and stopping over and over again. I launched with Zencaster, and I stayed with them. The reason is, it's just so darn easy. And today's Zencaster lets you record with high-quality audio and video. You can edit and distribute, too, all in one place. No more bouncing around from one platform to another to create your podcast. So if you're interested, go to Zencaster.com pricing and use my code when dating hurts, all one word, and you'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. I want you to have the same experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. Isn't it time to tell your story? I'm Bill Mitchell, and this is When Dating Hurts, a podcast dedicated to my daughter, Kristen, and all women taken from us before their time by the epidemic known as dating violence. I will speak with authorities in domestic violence, law enforcement professionals, families of victims and survivors, and survivors themselves. This is part two of Ashley's two-part story. Part one ended with Mark getting a nice big tattoo on his arm as a way of expressing the permanency of their relationship. But you'll hear how his expression of love falls short as the relationship deteriorates. And your initials are AA, aren't they? The AAA. My middle name's Anne. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. Now I was thinking ironic if he put AA on there. But AAA, that kind of is a car thing again. So He did get the AAA. Who knows what it is now if it's still there. <laughs> but not too long after that. So my mom came like mid-December. Also in December, my my older brother, he and his now wife were on a cross-country road trip. I'm sure my mom strongly urged them to, to stop by. So my brother's birthday is New Year's Eve. So they came by and, and were around for his birthday, which was nice. Again, I mean, during this time, it's just I had Mark needing a ride somewhere or whatever it was, or if I was out to dinner or something with them, it's like he'd, I'd always invite him, but it was like, I prefer him not to come because of how he acted. And I'm always apologizing on his behalf. You inadvertently enable all the bad behavior. You're making excuses. Well, he hadn't been feeling well, well, he's going through a difficult time and well, yeah, yeah you're doing all the blocking and tackling and he's just doing whatever he wants. Yeah, exactly. That's the way it works. Yeah, seriously. And so going into 2015, I did end up getting another new job just because the ad agency I was at was really like a great experience, but they were going under because, and we had like a nice tier two client. It was a good agency, but it's just the owner kind of mismanaged the funds. Mm -hmm. it, It seemed like. So I ended up working with a more like well-established, smaller family ad agency. Mm -hmm. I loved it. I loved it so much there. I loved my clients. I loved my coworkers. It was amazing. So that was like the one highlight of 2015. Outside of that, it was a pretty miserable year (laughs) because we had, you know, I was 
again, chauffeuring him to like all these things he had to do. He was just like escalating his aggression. Is there any upside to this relationship? You know, anybody would say, okay, all right. So I'm only hearing the bumpy parts. I'm hearing the dark parts. I'm hearing you running all over the place and picking up after him and making the world work for him. Is there anything good about this relationship at all? You know, the dogs. I did love the dogs so much. Forgot about the dogs a little bit there. I don't know. You know what? Actually, I was like used to alone time. So I like enjoyed it. So we're at this place in Tempe. He was working on, he ended up getting a car from the body shop he worked at. He was just completely redoing. So that kept him busy. So he was always doing that. So I got to kind of just like hang out with the dogs a lot and have this awesome pool and sweet backyard Mm -hmm. and, and just kind of enjoy whatever alone time I had, but peppered in with like all of that other crap. But I think I was maybe just like focusing more on like the aspects of just like have that alone time. I would like the job that I started working. There was just like also other kind of crazy things that happened with that house too. One of the neighbors, so these houses on this block were built in like the seventies. And our one neighbor was this older gentleman who'd been there from the beginning he told us that the lady who had owned our house like loved that house. She took a lot of pride in it and the house was lined with rose bushes. Oh. And when she passed away, her kids scattered her ashes in the rose bushes. Just based on all the things that happened in that house, I'm like, I feel like this woman haunted this house because she hated how much we brought the opposite of peace into this place, you know? Oh. And so, cause we had like really infestation of lizards and like it was mainly contained to the screen and porch room and it was kind of adorable because there was like little baby lizards and stuff but I've never seen so many lizards in my life we were backed up to a canal we also had these water bugs which were a nightmare because I'd be like oh my god there's a dead roach in the pool because they they look like roaches and then it would start swimming and I'm like oh my like in my head when i picture it now I'm picturing like this synchronized swim team of roaches it was like one off but we did have to get like an exterminator for that nothing got in the house but it was just like to have all this stuff in the yard was crazy having a plague at your door any flights of locusts coming in I'm gonna say the worst one was actually there was always dead monarch butterflies Oh. In the screen and porch. And I always took butterflies as like this like nice like light. They came to that house to die. Yes. I was like, dead butterflies is not a good sign. No. Mm-mm. So, I mean, that was just, again, like crazy time. I mean, I, I, that was just, it was just really a crazy time. I, I was also just kind of like losing it a little. Like, I mean, I was just getting really broken down at this point of just like having gone through all this stuff and really not even like processed or prioritized anything for the past couple years and Mm. definitely not for myself. And then on top of it, it's like in his one class, he'd always talk about a girl that was in the class with him. And then I'm like, what's going on with him and this girl? Like he's the one who's always jealous, but I'm not doing anything. Is he like just jealous because he's like messing around and I would become like obsessed, like trying to figure out, I actually ended up going to that girl's work and just asking her, is there something going on with you guys? Like, I don't know. Like, I'm just, I just wanted answers. I just wanted some kind of validation that I like, wasn't just losing my mind. What'd you get out of her? Ah, she was pretty, she was pretty cold. Like she was just like, she told me no, it was a very awkward situation. It made you feel even crazier. It made me feel even crazier. And then one, and I was not a check anybody's phone kind of person. That's just like not who I am. I either trust you or I don't. 
And just like one night, I just felt like obligated to check his phone. And I like grabbed his phone and like went to the other bathroom on the other side of the house. And he had been texting his ex-wife. The rich lady. <laughs> yeah. Checking in or something. But he he must have called me the warden because she said something of like to that effect. I was just like, oh my God. So I was just in. You were the fun police. Yeah. At this point, I was like, like my normal weight is around like 135. When like between 135, 145 is probably a healthy weight for me. I'm 5'7. I was 120 at this time. I was not healthy. Not hungry. I was not eating. Yeah. I mean, it was just like, because he was just increasingly aggressive on top of all the other stuff. For the drinking and drugs part, is he still behaving because they're checking him? Yeah, he had to, but he would have kind of sometimes a beer here and there, but he couldn't do his like 30 packs like he used to. But he did find this quack of a doctor, psychologist, who had his license revoked a couple times or whatever for like cocaine use. He prescribes buprenorphine, an antidepressant, Xanax, Adderall, and also put him on testosterone. The testosterone was a shot and it was a very like viscous liquid and the needle was very thin. And he was a giant baby. I'm not a nurse. You had to do your own shots of that. I had to administer the shots. He was just a giant baby about it. What does a guy get out of a shot of testosterone? He was just like lagging and tired or something. Like when he came out, just like whatever the situation was. And like, I think the testosterone is supposed to kind of like boost your vitality a little bit more. I don't know. Whatever it was, it's like, go get the shots by a professional. I think I did it okay once. How often did he get those shots? Once a day, I want to say. Really? Once a day? It was not fun for either of us. I was not comfortable doing it. I never got comfortable doing it. Yeah. And then all the pills that he was got prescribed, he was like crushing them up and snorting them. It's not like he was taking them responsibly. At all of our bathrooms had like chopped up razor pill powder. Mm. I'm like, this is just insane. It's still living in it, like living in basically like a crack house, it felt like. <laughs> I think maybe I was just in my own world kind of escaping there, not really like thinking about it. I was more aware of it. And I had my mom really kind of pushing a lot more. So I did start looking at apartments on my lunch breaks. There's the idea to get an apartment break up and that's it? Yeah, just move out, like move into an apartment. Because you're at the two-year mark now. It feels like a lifetime because of all the things that happened. There's the screenplay for you. Go ahead. That's As I was writing this all out, I was like, you can't make this stuff up. Horror movie at this point. Oh, just you wait. So I'm looking at apartments on my lunch breaks. It just felt very surreal. It's like then I really kind of felt like a shell of a human. I'm just like, what am I doing? What am I going to do? How am I going to make this work? How am I even going to move out? You know, like the logistics around this. This is just crazy. And I ended up finding a really, really cute apartment really close to the house that we were at. And it was a really nice apartment. And I um, I had emailed my, I was emailing my mom about it. And I had like made the mistake of neglecting to delete that specific email thread. Uh, he sees it. Well, so yeah. So one night in mid-October, it was maybe like 10 or 11 p.m. I was just really exhausted. Like when you're constantly in survival mode, you know, like you're just constantly also exhausted I bet. and also like putting on that show for work because it's like I didn't want anybody to like to burden anybody else with anything I was going through like I just was like I can handle it I'm I'm a tough girl you know I got this so yeah so we're at mid-October 2015 
and he's just like going off about something. Who knows what? I didn't care. I was just so tired. And then he wants my phone. Okay, here's my phone. Whatever. I don't care. So me and my little, I love both dogs, but like we'll call him little man and tough guy. Little man was my like little man. I just loved him so much. He was always with me. He was my guy. And so we go into the bedroom to lay down. And then about like 30 minutes later, if that. But now you say we, we is you and the dog? Me and the dog. Okay. Yeah. He's out. Yeah. He's out in like the front room. He's out there simmering. Going through my phone. And so this is like within about 30 minutes. And he just like comes in the room and he's walking like, like briskly into the room and says nothing and takes the dog and puts him on the floor. To his credit, he was never abusive to the animals in the sense of like being any kind of cruel intentionally to them. I think that the poor animals had to witness so much of the fighting and stuff that had to stress them out. And that makes me sad to think about. But outside of that, he never like mistreated them. He did love those dogs as well. So he comes in, he takes little man off the bed, puts him on the floor. I'm laying on the bed. He flips up the mattress with me on it. I like roll off into the dresser. He gets me back on the bed and mounts me and is like, like has his like fist back. Like he's going to just like decimate my skull, like punch me. Like he just had this like demonic, like just that, like that blank look that scares you that people are always like when their eyes get black, they change. That's like how I was like, I was screaming. Sure. Just like screaming as loud as I could, hoping somebody would call the cops or something. Cause that was like the first time I think I was like actually scared for my life. I can imagine. And I even tell him just cause I could see this just like darkness and his eye, like he's not even there. I'm like, you are going to murder me. Like yelling that to him, like hoping he'll snap out of it. And like, still like, I'm like cowering and also trying to fight him at the same time on the bed, but he's like, like on top of me. And somehow we moved to the floor and he did hit me, but like not hard. And it was like more of like to keep me in the room, like a control thing. And then he also did end up putting his hands around my neck. And I don't know if it was like, again, like something that was like, either he was out of his control in the moment or he like caught himself. He like, that didn't last very long, but long enough where I was like already thinking this guy's going to, this guy's going to, I, I am in danger. I am in danger. And I just, I just remember trying to like get a visual on where my car keys were. That's all I wanted to do was like, make sure I had my keys. Cause I was just like, I got to get out of here. So in the, we're in the bedroom still, like, I'm just trying to like calm him down. And I, I remember even like, just like asking him if I, cause I've been like hysterical. I'm like, can I, like, I just like, I need to go to the bathroom, like whatever. Like have to ask him to go to the bathroom. I did grab the keys at some point. And I don't know how discreetly it was. I'm guessing discreetly enough. Cause I don't remember him trying to get them from me. I don't remember if I calmed him down enough to like his guard to drop or what, but I had a second and I like ran for the front door. I like almost got to it to unlock it and get out and he had just caught he was at, like at my heels. So like got me backwards, pulled me to the ground. And then we're kind of like a grappling match on the ground. He's trying to kind of get me back into the bedroom area. We make it to the pantry and I'm just putting up as much of a fight as I could put up. This is a life or death situation. I, you know, I, but my survival instinct was rightfully kicked in there and I did drop the keys somehow like broke out of 
you know, his control, grabbed the keys, like just exploded into a stance, like channeled my like inner Olympic <laughs> Olympic athlete and and ran for the back sliding glass door, got through that one, got through the back screen door, the screen and porch. And then there's a concrete fence in between our yard and our neighbor's yard, probably five or six feet high. I like sprinted to that, jet, like pulled myself up on it. I'm straddling this concrete fence. At this point, he's like kind of like kind of stepped out by the screen and porch, like trying to like calmly, like softly get me to come back in because he knows he's screwed because he's already on probation. Cops are about to come. And I just like looked at him and I was just like, no, no. And then just finished like my descent into the neighbor's yard, banged on their door, those poor people, because they had little kids too. And just like banged on the door, told him to call the police, ran out their front, got in my car, obviously locked the doors immediately, turned it on, like backed out of the driveway, flew down the block. It was a really long block. Once I got to the end of the block, I'm barefoot in my drawstring shorts, braless in my Ninja Turtle t-shirt. Like I was ready for bed. I'm in my car and I just park at the end of the block where I kind of have like a vantage point where I could see behind me at the house. It's like the adrenaline like was wearing off. And then just the the reality of the situation was sinking in and just like. Like now what? That's exactly what I, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? Right. I got this far and I don't have a plan. It's a weeknight. It's super late. What am I going to do? Am I going to be this person that's keeping like going to other people and then keep going back to this guy and living with him and just causing all those problems? Mm-hmm. You know, I just like had that time in my head and then the squad car came rolling down the block and so oh, I just like, hopped out of my car and I was just like flagging him down. Like I was like, it was me. It was me. It was me. <laughs> like So yeah. And then during that same time, Mark had gotten on his bicycle to find me, but they found him. Mm-hmm. So they had him in the back of a squad. And then we kind of all met back at my place in the driveway. And then I was kind of doing a, a verbal interview with a detective who was recording it. And, you know, you have to tell, retell, tell again, all the details of what happened. And I just remember, cause I was just such, I was just so frazzled. And, uh, and my, my dad was a Chicago cop for 35 years mm-hmm. And, and it, my dad was a tough guy too. And he'd always say, if anybody ever messed with you, I'll rip off their arm and shove it up their ass. And I was telling that to the cop. I'm like frantic and hysterical. And like the, like the cop's listening. He's like, oh, okay. Like they're all very indifferent. And he's just like, okay, I believe you. And in my head, I'm like, you believe me? In retrospect, I got like, you know, think like cops see and hear a lot of things and, and, you know, people mm-hmm. make things up. But like, I had just gone through that. And for him to be like, oh, I believe you. He's pretty detached. Uh, I was like, okay, well, I'm. Glad. thanks for believing me. He's about as excited as giving a parking ticket. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. So that was like the next thing. And I'm just like, well, I have nowhere to go. I was like, this guy just like tried to kill me. I don't want to be spending any more time in this house with him. Like, you do what you got to do and take him where you got to take him. But he's like not here. And then they asked if I wanted to go to some, you know, medical facility to get examined. So I think a, an officer came in my house with me just so I can get like my shoes to go do that. And then, so I also got in the back of a squad car to go to this medical facility. And that cop was just like, he didn't say two words to me. And he was like texting while he was driving, like swerving. 
he could have cared. He couldn't have been more indifferent. I was just like, what is going on? Like, I just wanted out of that car, out of that night. Nobody cares. Yeah. Nobody and, cares. Yeah. And we got to the whatever. And so at this point, it's like 1 a.m. It's getting pretty late. We're at this medical facility place. It was very, like, cold. And, and like, there wasn't many people there. One lady, she was kind enough to, like, my recollection and just kind of, like, take pictures and, like, provided me with some, you know, like, resources of, like, you know, there was like a free therapy thing and like kind of an escape plan packet. And taking pictures, I guess, of bruises or whatever you had. Yeah, pictures of like my body, you know, just I guess if I was going to go forward with any kind of charges for it. And at that point, I was just so exhausted and then just kept breaking down because I was just so mad at myself too. Like, how did I get myself into this mess? Yeah, when you consider all the things that you did along the way to try to get him make his life work. And then all of a sudden you've arrived at a place where this guy's ready to pound you in the head a few times and maybe put you into the next world. Yeah. It's incredible. It's like the the result of all your actions should never have come to this. Yeah. Yeah. By the time that's all done, for some reason that took a while. I got back and it was like 4 a.m. And I was just, I was just glad to see the dogs and I was tired. I didn't, I didn't want to necessarily go back into the house. That was a very traumatic experience. You know, I was, I just tried so hard to get out of the house. Right. So, I mean, I obviously didn't sleep so well. I wanted to go to work the next day. I liked my job. I at least wanted to go in and like talk to my manager. The next morning, I just probably like looked like a crazy person. Went in and, and like kind of broke down in my manager's office. But they were like, they were just incredible people there. I can't say good enough things about them. And, and you know, like, of course, everybody's like, oh, I had no idea. Very understanding. I'm pretty sure at that point, Mark's dad was calling me. He always got him out of all kinds of jams. I think his heart was in the right place and he was just trying to be caring about his son. But at the same time, I'm just, I was being honest. Like I wasn't like sugarcoating what happened. I was just telling him. He was just kind of like trying to talk me into like not pressing charges or whatever would happen after that. Adding to his list of misdemeanors and felonies. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just, and then when I got home, I just felt like, so when I got home from the office, I just felt so sick. I felt like I was having like a heart attack and a stroke and the stomach flu all at the same time. I bet. And I think I, I called my mom here, not because I was going to tell her anything. Cause I just like, I just didn't want, and plus her being so far away, like that has to be such a helpless feeling. I'm sure I like told a very edited version, but like, you know, moms know. I finally fell asleep somehow after that. And then when I woke up, there was a cop and paramedics at my door because my mom, I fell asleep and she was calling and texting me, but I was asleep. So she called in a wellness check. Oh, how about that? So more cops and paramedics. Yeah. And then after that, so then the detective was calling me and I had Mark calling me, you know, obviously apologizing and all that. Ultimately what happened was Mark's dad paid for me to do like the down payment for that apartment. So I got that all set up and. But the idea is don't press charges and I'll help pay for this. Yeah. 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 Essentially. Cause I mean, he was basically also like, obviously like fire and gasoline get away from each other. Like mm -hmm. this isn't working for either of you. Let's just put an end to it. So he helped with that. I wish I could say this was the end of the story, but it wasn't <laughs> because I, I think I stayed in that apartment one night overnight and, and it was like a scary night to stay there too. And it was because once Mark got out, 
I just ended up staying still with him and the dogs. And I ended up giving him a key to that apartment, which was so stupid. Because then the one night I did stay there, it was like another, not quite as escalated as that one situation, but I was just getting out of it. But I like had it like I slept with some kind of either like kitchen utensil or tool or whatever I was going to use as a weapon. I had like the chair propped against the door. Yeah, it was just crazy. And then by December 2015 going into 2016, they were just selling the house, the people that were renting it to begin with. So we had to move anyways. I had the apartment, but I wasn't staying there. He ended up going through his aunt who helped us get the place we were at in Tempe and they found a place in East Mesa. And then I ended up moving in there, breaking my lease of that apartment. Yeah. It stayed there in that place. But the nice thing about where that was is like my one friend and savior, my beloved Sandy, who she was like a guardian angel to me out there. She lived close. She a new friend at this point. So actually from the classic rock station, I worked with her there. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. And we just maintain our friendship. And, and so she just like, was always a really good friend to me and always looking out like one of those people that I never, I was always able to at least like have her if I had nobody else that like, and I did, I did have friends out there just like how much can you burden people who have like kids and their own stuff going on in life? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think at like this point, especially after that one incident from October, it was just, I was definitely felt like a shell of a person. I was still like going through the motions of life and I was still working and, you know, going on any work trips, which is always an issue. I mean, any work trip was like, my work asked me to like represent the agency with one of our like C-suite executives at this Vegas convention for car dealerships because we worked with a lot of car dealerships or like whatever kind of car situation it was mm-hmm. which was a, quite an honor to be asked that of everybody and so I was excited but of course it was like a whole ordeal to uh you know pass it by like so I had to like sneakily because I'm like I'm going on this work trip you know I, I'm going and I packed that little suitcase and then I was gonna sneak out in the morning and I like go to sneak out and of course I wasn't that sneaky because that turned into I just remember broken glass grappling on the floor he threw my suitcase at me because I had some bruises when I was in Vegas from the suitcase. But I like somehow got out and made my flight and, and went to Vegas and, and worked for a couple of nights. What was the broken glass was originally? I'm trying to remember because at this point, all the pills that his doctor had him on, like he was just he was losing it. Actually, at least he wasn't on the testosterone anymore. I think the testosterone stopped after December 2015, Christmas Day. I was giving him the testosterone shot and he was just being a giant baby about it like he always was. But this time he like freaked out, like turned around like he was going to like punch me or something on Christmas Day. I left the house right away and just like got in my car. Again, Christmas Day, where am I going? Like there was actually these really nice, restaurants in the water by us and I just like parked in the parking lot over there and just just like was bawling and that's how I spent my Christmas my goodness yeah so 2016 Vegas so like it was 2016 and we were in the East Mesa place whatever he was doing with those pills he would wake me up almost nightly and just be like accusing me of crazy things being in love with like a, a female coworker or something like you could just tell he just like wasn't right in the head you mean he was accusing you of being in love with a female coworker? 
Yeah, just like really outlandish things. We had this glass table that he like broke this glass. And then we had these dogs and like all this broken glass. And he'd be doing it in the middle of the night. I think it was maybe like the Adderall keeping him up and then maybe like countering the other stuff. I don't know what was going on, but he seemed like he was schizophrenic or something overnight. It was like never, there was never peace. Cause even if I was sleeping in bed, it's like, okay, but he could just bust in at any minute and just start doing wild shit. Like that is just like his MO. Mm-hmm. So it was just like getting increasingly just, just crazier. And yeah, the, before the Vegas trip. And so that like in 2016 is just kind of a blur. I know that. So he talked me into selling my car to this lady that he met in like, in like a auto zone parking lot. I had it almost paid off and he talked me into selling her my car. Then he'd sell me his car and he did have a, a nice car, nicer than mine, but like, I definitely regret selling my car and then I had his car and I actually got rear-ended so bad that the car was totaled. And I just remember when I got rear-ended, I was so hysterical, but I was more hysterical because I knew how he was going to be about it. It wasn't like, oh my God, I'm hysterical. This happened. This was like a traumatic event. I'm like, oh my God, this is this is my fault somehow. Like, how is this going to fall back on me? I, and I think my mom could tell too, because when I like was talking to her about it, it's just, she knew that I was like being like hysterical for the reasons I didn't need to be hysterical for. Remember, he's a car guy. So the car ended up being totaled. So we got a check for it. With that check, he bought himself a diesel truck and then fixed the car, you know, in his spare time when it was convenient. So I did a lot of Ubering. I would take the truck sometimes. I couldn't take that other car he fixed up because it was a um, stick shift. It was just like more and more exhausting. It was nice because again, he had more projects to work in the garage, but like still being like that crazy in the middle of the night and just me just completely numb at this point, like cut off from like so many people. I was a bridesmaid at my friend's wedding in October of 2016. Thank God he ended up not coming to the wedding. And I actually had a lot of fun, (laughs) but I felt bad because I wasn't even able to be a good bridesmaid. Like I wasn't able to go to anything because, you know, he was so crazy. I mean, a lot of just kind of like that stuff over 2016, our landlord from the first place we lived in together sued us for, I don't know, that guy just was kind of like one of those like serial lawsuit people. He actually like got some kind of like law degree or something himself. And I think he did that to kind of have that interior knowledge. Like he was a little smarmy to begin with because it was nothing we did, but he said something of like that we owed him for, I don't know, who knows what, but he's suing both of us. So he wanted more than the uh, the deposit you put down? Yeah, whatever the case was, because I was never even on named on the lease I don't think because it was like I came into when Mark was already living there and I don't know I was just like at this point I'm like you know who's gonna end up getting screwed on this me that is the one constant yeah yeah I filed um bankruptcy in 2016 just specifically because well the car was totaled so I didn't really have any assets in my name and I was like I'm not letting this landlord get anything from me so I did that That was just another thing that happened in 2016. August 2017 is going to be my 30th birthday. My beloved Sandy and one of our other really good friends just went for a couple drinks during the day. But like, of course, like later at night, Mark's texting me about like being hungry or something. Oh, he needs somebody to bring him dinner on my 30th birthday. So it was, that was just kind of one of the final straws. And then a week later, I was in the yard with the dogs. Like we lived on a golf course, was right behind our yard. So it was really pretty views. 
It wasn't so lousy outside of that. So me and the dogs were outside. He was in the garage. Starts a fight about who knows what. I can't even remember what any of these were about because they were all about nonsense. Then he like locks me and the dogs outside. It's August in Arizona. I'm like, at least like the other little dog tough guy. I'm like, this dog has had health issues. Like I'm like, at least let this one in. And that's like his favorite dog. So he ended up letting him in. And then me and me and my little man, we went across the street to the park and just hung out. And, you know, I was just so over it at this point. And then when I got back in the house, of course, he's trying to like start a fight. And this time I'm just no holds bar. Like I'm just like in it. I'm like, okay, I'm going to like fight you right back. Cause he, even at one point when we were fighting on the ground, he's like, Oh my God, why are you so strong? And in my head, I'm like, Oh my God, why are you fighting a girl right now? Like what is wrong with you? But again, another one of these pin you down, hit you things. Uh, I mean, is he, is he hitting you? At it this was point? more of like a wrestling match. It felt like, like he would do like a lot of the yeah. feints and stuff, never like landed anything. I even grabbed a golf club at, at one point. And I think he grabbed a golf club. Like, we were going to do, like, a fencing. Like, I'm like, what is this? I'm 30. What am I doing? Like, this is my, like, this is my life. Is this the life I want? Like, I love dogs hmm. so much, and I wish I could take them with me. But, like, I, I can't. I can't live like this anymore. I cannot live like this anymore. Somehow he just, like, relents. And whatever he does, I fall asleep in the guest room with the dogs. The next morning, I actually, I have a meeting with a client too the next day and I'm driving on my way into the office and my oldest brother, he's a captain for a, a commercial airline. And so I just called him. And when you're a captain, you're a pilot. Yeah. For like now over 20 years. Yeah. So I called him on my way to mm-hmm. work and just asked him to put me on a flight back to Chicago that day. Cause I knew if I knew if I didn't do it, I wouldn't. I mean, like clearly see. <laughs> You see a pattern of me continuing to go back to this nonsense. Yes. Always getting back in there, getting back in the ring for another round. Yes. And so I, I call no questions asked. He just said, yeah, yeah. Okay. And so I like stopped in my office. I, you know, my manager had already kind of known all the people at work were just extraordinary. Like they, they even offered before this to help move. Like they're like, we all have trucks. If you need anything moved whatever you need, like, let us know what he looks like, what he drives so we can keep an eye out at the office. They were understanding. So when I went in, I didn't have a plan, you know, like that was, I was just kind of winging it this day. And I just told him like, you know, I'll just like, I'm going to go back. I'm going to bring my work stuff. Like I'll keep working and then we'll just kind of like figure it out from there. But like, I've got to go today. And like, they're just like, go, you know, like do your thing. So, and then I went to my friend Sandy's and uh, I kind of had a couple things there, just like some pictures and like some of my more like, I guess like more like valuable, important things that I needed stashed somewhere. So between just like a couple of those things and then like the clothes on my back, I left my car with Sandy and then I um, went to the airport and flew back to Chicago and, and I've since been back to visit, but I never went back to him. But yeah, like that was how my, my triumphant return home. I don't think I would have done it any other way because I, I wouldn't have just like pulled off that bandaid. Yeah. I'm just like glad I did. I mean, obviously it was kind of a pain from there. My mom had gone out once to try to get my stuff. Cause I mean, that was like, I was out there seven years at this point. I, I moved out there in 2010. He wouldn't let her get any of my stuff. Uh-huh. And then he ended up moving back to his Midwest hometown and had my stuff. I And all the cars were in my name. Like every car he had was in my name because 
we couldn't have them in his name. There was a couple more impound things that I glossed over too that I don't remember. I don't remember the specifics about, but when I got back here, I did lose my job with that ad agency for the best. I think that they were kind of just like looking out and didn't want me to have a reason to go back, like ultimately. So I think it was obviously for the best, but it was kind of like, okay, like starting from ground zero here. Luckily, my brother had my, not the pilot brother, but my other brother had this two flat that he owned and and the first floor was available. So, you know, I eventually had a place. I didn't stay with my mom and her um, two bedroom apartment long, but like that was, I mean, it was tough. It was just like such a, it's just like, what now to not have anything to be like, having gone through all that stuff. I spent the first at least week just like crying in my mom's one bedroom like she had to keep like she's she thinks she had to be on suicide watch I wasn't like that bad I was just very like I missed the dogs for sure I was uh. just like sad and distraught and like just trying to like kind of even wrap my head around anything that happened yeah and then I ended up finding um a bartending job on Craigslist that was exactly kind of what I needed I was able to kind of just have that like blow off some time of that was my job I didn't have to like be too too responsible and somebody that I worked with there another amazing person I'm just like very fortunate to just have so many so many incredible people in my life she she took me to go get my stuff she had a truck and she went with me we drove a couple states over to um go get it. And and I got to see the dogs. And the whole time I kind of just spent with my little, little man and she loaded up, she and Mark's sister-in-law like loaded up the truck with as much stuff as we could fit. And, and then like, that was that. Cause I, I blocked him, you know, from everything except maybe like an email just cause we still had like some things like I had to sign over the titles. I was like, fine with that. You know, um, Mark's dad was always good about helping me financially. So I like ultimately for him, I was just like, that's fine. Like, I just like, I just wanted to be done. So I did sign over those titles. But yeah, Mark was trying to reach out as we were leaving. I'm like, well, I thought we were gonna like go on a walk and talk or something. So many opportunities over all those years to talk about things. And, you know, and that's also another thing that happens is someone wants that one last shot, you know, that one last opportunity. And then that's when something really cataclysmic takes place yeah so it's good you didn't do that it seems innocent enough it's like oh well you know we've been together for years wasn't great but okay you know big send-off and you never know what's going to happen they could show up with a gun anything can happen now that's what i was going to say i i feel so lucky because i know that there's people that have done everything right it's just like you can't underestimate the amount of danger that you're in you know like don't underestimate people is like a huge thing because even leading up to all that stuff before that October 2015 night, it's like, I didn't think that he was capable to like lose it the way he did, where I was actually in fear for my life. I didn't think that that was a possibility and it is. So it's like, don't think that that's not. What advice would you say to your younger self, that person who had some worries in the first two or three months? Because there are a lot of people who are that person right now who are listening. What would you say to those people? Oh my gosh, trust trust your gut. I mean, try, you know, you know when something's not right and and if you're here on this earth like you have a purpose, there's a reason you're here and it's not to live for somebody else, it's to like love yourself, be there for yourself first, 
love yourself the way you deserve to be loved. You don't need somebody else to do that. It's just not going to end well. I have this piece of Charles Bukowski's work that I really love. If you don't mind me sharing this, I feel like it kind of nails it. I'd love to hear that. Sure. Nobody can save you but yourself. You will be put again and again into nearly impossible situations. They will attempt again and again through subterfuge, guise, and force to make you submit, quit, and or die quietly inside. Nobody can save you but yourself. And it will be easy enough to fail, so very easily. But don't, don't, don't. Just watch them. Listen to them. Do you want to be like that? A faceless, mindless, heartless being? Do you want to experience death before death? Nobody can save you but yourself. And you're worth saving. It's a war not easily won. But if anything is worth winning, then this is it. Think about it. Think about saving yourself. That's fabulous. That really that really wraps the whole thing up, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that hit me. I mean, that hit me in the feelings. I was like, yes, Charles Bukowski, you're not wrong. There was a time when someone would be having fun, swimming in the ocean, you know, kind of out there, and they'd be in trouble. And lifeguards would jump in the water and swim out there and try to grab a hold of them and bring them back. And there are a lot of dead lifeguards because of that. You know, that person is hanging on for everything and pulling the lifeguard under so they could keep their head above water and everything, literally above water. And then someone got smart enough to get a rope and get one of those floaty deals, you know, and swim out and throw that to them. That's about, that's as much help as you're going to get. You know, you grab onto that, I'll pull you in. But the object of the game was never that we wind up losing lifeguards. And so the analogy being, you are precious, you have so much to give, and there are people out there who will pull you under like that. And whether they mean to or not, and what happens, guys like Mark, and I've met enough people who've talked about these people, the question I asked someone a few years ago is, is what's happening, is the manipulation and everything that comes with it, that whole act, that whole process that's put upon people like you, if it's intentional or is it just that's kind of what happens? And the answer is yes, it is intentional. It's not a series of accidents that what happens happens. It's purely intentional. It's to dangle the candy in the very beginning and to get you to come in and then feeding you at times, rewarding you at times for doing what that person wants, and then being bad at times and pushing you away to see if you'll now come back. And, and you did for years, time and time again, you know, but you just stayed in there on and on and on. And you enabled that guy. Yeah. And I don't know what he's up to right now, but I bet he's doing it to somebody else. He might be two or three victims past you at this point. I think about that. I do. And it's like, and it's funny because I feel like you've mentioned this in past episodes too of like, they clearly have that they could switch on and off because when I finally got out and was going to go to the neighbor's house, all of a sudden he's Mr. Calm and collected and, oh no, just like come in. Like, I'm sorry. Like mm -hmm. you were just trying to kill me. <laughs> right. That's right. Yeah. One of the things that I heard too, which I thought was brilliant was, let's say you have somebody who is, emotionally, mentally, verbally abusive at home and maybe physically abusive. But then they go to a job and they're not doing it there. Yeah. Because you do that enough and you're out of there. 
So it can switch it on and off. They can fashion it just for you or fashion it for somebody else because they know it's not going to happen at work. It's not going to go. They're going to be fired. They're going to be gone. Self-serving. Everything they're doing is just self-serving. Like that's it. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I've been fortunate to have like such a good support system, like such a solid, relentless support system that, you know, really like saw me through. I know not everybody has that. They don't, unfortunately. You're right. But I mean, there are a lot of resources. And I I believe, because uh, I was telling you about that gal, Olivia, and I believe she reached out to you. She's my next interview. Oh, that's awesome. She just seems fabulous. And and those are a lot of a lot of good resources there that I was just so glad to hear about because, you know, I'd like to get more involved. I think at this point, especially like doing this and now being able to talk about it and have my story out there, being able to be more of an advocate and kind of put more things in place. I went to a couple therapy sessions after that October of 2015 situation. I did the EMDR, but I was still in it. I wasn't going anywhere. So it's not like you know, I feel like that would be helpful for me, like maybe now or, you know, afterwards. But I think I was just not ready. Do you think you're just so caught up in the story unfolding that any kind of therapy was not going to touch it at that time? Yeah, I was just like, again, just like so going through the motions. I wasn't ready to like dig in or really like deal with anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, here we are six years after and I still kind of feel like I'm dealing with some of the aftermath. Definitely want to be there to help. I have an email address that I set up. So if like anybody wanted to like share their story with me or something, you know, just having like an email, it's a new a 312 at gmail.com. A new a. So a N E W a 312 at gmail.com. Okay, great. And so they email you and just sort of like share stories back and forth, do you think? If you have questions for me, if there's, you know, if there's any, anything I can help with, or if they just want to share a story and don't even want a response, just want somewhere to send it. I think it's great. I always have my email address at the end of these podcasts. When someone's going through this, someone's a victim or someone's a survivor, your family, your friends, they don't have the tools. You know, they haven't maybe been there. Some of them may have, but very few. You know, this is a new area. And it's like nobody gets your pain like somebody who had that pain. So the fact that there are podcasts and we can sit and chat about things that that would be hard to talk about, but we can do it. We can get it out there. We can get what happened before, what happened during, how you felt about it. What did you do? What didn't you do? What do you wish you did? All those things. The fact that we have this vehicle, which anybody can listen to whenever they want, and it's free, there's all these plus sides that the technology has given us that we just didn't have. I really enjoyed talking to you, Bill. Thank you so much. You know, you've given us so much to think about and still processing your story. And I give you a lot of credit for being so loyal to someone who is not loyal to you. His only consistency was trying to suck the life out of you every chance he had, and he didn't win. So that's good. And here you are now. I also started doing MMA in 2020. Mixed martial arts. That's what you. So, I mean, I kind of took a little break this past year just after like losing my last job. I'm going to start my next job on Monday, but I love my gym over here. It couldn't have been a better situation. Actually, when I called, when I spoke to the gal there, I was like, I asked how like she got into it. And she said she was in a situation like a you know, a a domestic kind of violence situation. And I was like, 
because it, it teaches you then like you like learn so much about yourself through that but you also have a, a lot of good insights into how to defend yourself and right then, if somebody were to pin you you'd probably come out with a few things that that person would go flying yeah i mean to be made to feel so powerless in those moments and then you just right. like are like i don't want to feel that way again i want to be able to you know, feel like I can hold my own. That's great. You know, you, you've made your way out. And now you're being generous with what you know and what you can do. And you're, you have a better life. Yeah. God bless you. Yes. That's great. Yes. Yes. This is the conclusion of Ashley's story. She is an especially generous person. But as these stories always seem to go, victims need to save themselves first. And abusers are nearly impossible to fix. Thank you for listening. Thanks to my guests for offering their stories on the When Dating Hurts podcast. This is your platform where victims, survivors, and others who have experience with domestic violence can freely add what they have witnessed. Through these stories, although challenging to listen to, we underscore the prevalence and horrific behavior of abusers over their targets and victims. With knowledge comes enlightenment and empowerment. If you feel your story should be included on this podcast, please email me at billmitchell at whendatinghurts.com. That's billmitchell at whendatinghurts.com. Thank you.